Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Pete Grimm about preparing your company for market disruptions through leveraging your competitive intelligence. Peter Grimm, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks, Jonathan. It's great to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited to have a conversation with you today about disruption and competitive intelligence. We're, we're going to be focusing on how we can prepare our company for market disruptions, as well as other types of social and political disruptions, and how leveraging our competitive intelligence collectively will help us in that preparation. As we get started, I wanted to share Pete's bio with everybody. A graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy with experiences ranging from clandestine support for Navy SEALs to authoring intelligence featured in the President's Daily Briefing, Peter Grimm has a unique blend of national security and strategy consulting experience. He brings this to bear when helping companies identify, anticipate, and prepare for market disruption. While at Deloitte Consulting, his clients relied on him to deliver competitive intelligence solutions to anticipate and capitalize on market opportunities. As the president of Cypher, Peter leverages his national security and corporate strategy experiences with the latest AI and natural language processing technologies to help clients better understand their buyers, competitors, and markets. He's a regular speaker at industry and competitive intelligence conferences around the world and passionate about helping clients like Google, Olympus, CVS Health, and Erie insurance make smarter, faster decisions. Again, Pete, what a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Uh, before we launch into the conversation, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of background or personal context? Uh, no, that was, a, that was a great intro. Thanks very much, Jonathan. It's a, you know, a little bit of a non-traditional background in terms of coming out of the, the counterterrorism world for years, and I was in the military before that, and, and then sort of transitioning into uh, into corporate strategy has been interesting over the last 15 or so years. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm always struck by the, the similarities between some of the work I did, believe it or not, in the national security world uh, from an intelligence analysis standpoint and, and the problems that corporate strategists are faced with. A lot of the methodologies that you have to use to think through really complex problems are, are really similar. So it's kind of an interesting parallel. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. And you mentioned a non-traditional path. And, you know, the more I interact with, with people around the world, the more I realize most people don't have a traditional path. <laughs> we yeah. all, we all tend to, zig, to zigzag a bit and, and uh, bring our unique path, our unique experiences and insights to, to this field of, of strategy and people management and, optimizing organizations. And I think it's all needed. I think we need all these different backgrounds um, 
as we try to figure out this messiness that is human interaction and organizations trying to function effectively. For sure. Yeah, I think the uh, uh, I've always been uh, sort of a believer in the notion of, of diversity uh, in terms of groups trying to solve problems. You know, the broader set of perspectives you can bring to a problem, the faster you're going to arrive at an effective solution in my experience. So that, that's held true for me. Uh, you know, from my sort of earliest days in the Navy, uh, leading young sailors, uh, you know, aboard a ship, uh, all the way up through, you know, a huge firm like Deloitte and, and in the work I do now with, with these big companies. So uh, I, I'm a huge fan of, of getting as broad a set of perspectives as you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's excellent. And kind of taps into the, the first question I wanted to explore with you. Where do we begin when starting to collect market and competitive intelligence? Uh, you know, there's just so much out there. We, we don't have a shortage of information, um, but I, I think it is a question on how we curate that information, how we process it and, and deal with it. What, yeah. what is your approach? Well, you know, the first thing I tell companies who are starting to look um, uh, or, or recognize a need for better intelligence and sort of insights to, to, to drive the business, drive decision-making is that a lot of those insights, a lot of the information you need to understand the market and the competitive environment, you already have, uh, particularly in a larger organization. There are you know, sales folks out in the field every day. The marketing team is, is, uh, you know, has their nose to the grindstone and, and is, uh, has their finger on the pulse of the market. Um, you have product development folks in a lot of cases who are thinking through you know, technological challenges and looking toward that next, that next big thing from a technology standpoint. Uh, even finance folks are thinking about, you know, what are capital markets doing? There's a lot of information resident across a big organization. So the first challenge is how do you harvest that in a way that you can take all those little tidbits of information uh, and, and bring them together into something that's, that's strategically meaningful, right? We always, we kind of use the analogy of a mosaic. So if you think about a mosaic with lots of little tiles that eventually, you know, if you put enough of them together, uh, or maybe for, for those of us with kids, kind of a paint by numbers idea, right? Where if you get enough of those sort of squares filled in, the picture starts to emerge. So that's the first place I, I tell folks to start. Um, and it's really about, you know, if I'm, the, uh, if I'm the person in an organization responsible for uh, strategic or, or competitive and market intelligence work, I want to broaden my network as quickly as I can across the organization and really start to get to know and start to interact with folks from all these different functions because they have a lot of information already. Um, and then beyond that, there's a lot of systems, things you can do to automate the collection of that information too, right? Most of these companies now are using uh, Salesforce or some other customer relationship management tool. There's typically ERP. There's lots of MarTech, uh, you know, marketing technology applications. There's lots of data in those systems already that if you can effectively bring that together, you start to see that mosaic emerge in terms of the competitive landscape and, and market trends. So that's always the first place I tell folks to start. Yeah, well, and that's a very good point because in my experience, most organizations of any size have tons of that kind of data that completely goes untapped. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's surface level analyses that that they utilize that data for, but largely it goes untapped and and uh, what a waste! Like you you spend all this time and money collecting that information and then to only use it, you know, for a couple kind of general metrics or KPIs, um, you're you're doing yourself a disservice, right? So so tapping into the existing 
data that already exists, uh, figuring out how to process it, how to, to maximize, to leverage it, I, I think is super important. And, and then you can start to look outside the organization for additional right. inputs, right? Yeah, yeah. Once, once you've got a handle on the internal picture and you've kind of knit that, that tacit knowledge from across the organization together, then you can start to look outside. And, and there's no shortage of data and information available from a whole variety of different sources. The challenge that most people have when they start to pick their heads up and look outside, and uh, a very common case that I'll share with you, we've, we've heard this scenario over and over and over and over again. Uh, a company will be surprised. Leadership team is surprised. But they, unexpected M&A deal happens, or there's a new entrant or with some disruptive technology or business model that they didn't anticipate. And a very common reaction is to throw resources at it to make sure we don't get surprised again. Right, so they'll, they'll typically designate, you know, a leader who uh, likely doesn't have an intelligence background. They're probably, you know, an MBA with a few years' experience, a bright, young, up-and-coming executive, and they'll say to him or her, they'll say, uh, you know, look, here's a budget. Go make sure we don't ever get surprised like this again. And, and we hear from lots of those folks who've been tasked with that. Uh, and, and their typical reaction is, okay, I need data. I need to go outside the organization. I need to buy data. I need a news provider. I need to make sure I see every press release from every company. I want to look at financial data. I want to look at regulatory information. You know, I need to collect all of my competitors' product, marketing materials, and collateral. And, and so very quickly, you can spend a lot of money <laughs> doing that. Uh, and so once we've spent this money, we've collected all this data, we realize that we don't have time to make sense of any of it. So the next reaction tends to be to hire people. Um, I need help. I need a team to actually make sense of all this information. And what we find over the course of, you know, 18 months, two years, three years of this sort of uh, aggregation of information and application of resources to try and make sense of it, eventually the economic cycle turns, the business cycle comes around, budgets get tightened, and it's really hard to demonstrate any return on all that investment. You know, you know there's no uh, we haven't delivered a lot of value to the business because we've been so busy trying to collect and then make sense of data. So that's kind of, that's where we play a lot of the time is, is helping companies think through, uh, you know, how do we rationalize the way we do this from a, a data collection standpoint? What do we actually care about? And there's a whole series of really fundamental questions that we'll work through with companies before we even start talking about where we're going to collect data from or how we're going to process it and those types of questions. Yeah, yeah, I think that's super important. And so, I mean, that gets to, you know, the choices that we make in terms of allocation of time and resources when developing this intelligence, right? Can you speak a little bit more to some of the types of questions that you uh, would ask or, or help organizations ask themselves as they're trying to process through that? Sure, yeah, we have a, the process we work through with companies generally starts, um, you know, with they've been surprised or, or, or some disruption has happened. Um, or there are companies that are trying to be out in front of disruption, right? They, they can see it happening all around them. They know it's probably coming for them at some point, but they have no real idea as to what shape or form that's going to take or, or what the timing is going to be. So we do a lot of work with companies to help them think through where potential disruption could come from. Um, and we do that by um, firstly sort of being very introspective about the business. And we go through a series of exercises with the company the most important thing we can hone in on there at the, at the front end is what are our sources uh, of com competitive advantage, right? Uh, and, and, you know, there's all sorts of theories that I'm, I'm sure as 
in, in your role, you're very, very familiar with, you know, Porter and, and Tracy and Wiersman and some of the others that have written about sources of a competitive advantage. But there's a series of exercises that we'll walk through to say, okay, you know, what is our true differentiation in this market? Or what is our true source of competitive advantage, uh, given all the factors in play in the competitive environment? And once you understand that, and really only once you truly understand that, uh, can you then think about where disruption would be likely to happen? Because there, it can come from anywhere, right? We can't monitor everything. But once we understand what our sources of competitive advantage are, then we understand what we have to protect and what, we what, we are, what we're able to exploit when opportunities come along. So that can sort of set the lens and, and scope the problem a little bit. So we always start there and really understanding sources of competitive advantage. Then we work through um, kind of how disruption typically happens. And there's lots of great work that's been done on this by you know, very, very smart folks, Clayton Christensen and others. Um, there, there's actually some great work that was done by my former firm, Deloitte, a, a couple of years ago, where they looked at case studies of, I believe it was 150 or something, case studies of disruption that have happened. And they said, what are the common threads here? You know, what, what can we, what can we uh, pull out of these case studies that are the commonalities that run across them? And so there's, there's several um, uh, sort of very common threads. They come up with sort of nine sources of disruption that, that are very common. So then you can overlay sort of that the threat picture to go back to my national security background. You overlay the threat picture of how disruption happens with the vulnerability picture of where our competitive advantage lies. So when you overlay those two, now you've got a very focused look at what do we need to be monitoring? Where would we could we potentially see indicators of these types of disruptors? Uh, so you can apply resources much, much more efficiently. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, and ultimately that's what we're shooting for, right? We want we want um, efficient allocation of those resources. We want to to spend the time and the resources where it makes the most sense, where it's going to be the most helpful, uh, ultimately, and that where it's going to add the most value with the most insights to the organization. Uh, and hopefully that will hopefully that will prepare us for these market disruptions. But to your point, 
you know, we, we, we don't know what we don't know, and there's no way we can foresee everything. And there's no way we can monitor everything. Uh, we don't have a crystal ball. We, we don't know what the next big um, tech disruption is going to be, but we just do the best we can to monitor and uh, to, to maximize the resources we have to utilize and prioritize, you know, those resources in a, in a way that makes sense, rather than just to your point earlier, you know, throwing money after a problem that may or may not actually be a problem in the future. It's kind of a current pressing issue, um, but but we, we need to think a little bit more long-term and strategic about those sorts of things rather than just being purely reactionary as is often the case. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and you know, once, once you've got, the whole point of all of these activities is to buy time, right? So the, the earlier we can see something coming, the more time we have to get that huge aircraft carrier of a big enterprise pointed in the right direction. And I will tell you that even if you do this perfectly well and the intelligence process produces insights that says, hey, this potential disruptor is coming, you know, we're pretty confident it's about three years away and we know, you know, all this detail about it. Even when you present insights like that, particularly in a big publicly traded company, it can be really hard to get the ship turned. Uh, and there's a whole, a whole number of reasons for that. But you know, a lot of cases you'll see that the company, in order to capitalize on this coming shift, they might have to cannibalize a really profitable line of business that exists today. And that's a really hard ask uh, for, for an executive in that role, particularly in those publicly traded companies where, you know, uh, my main concern is the next quarter. And I might not be in the seat anymore when that big tidal wave actually hits. So you know, there's a whole series yeah. of organizational dynamics questions of it as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, so in your experience, what are some of the types of things that researchers and analysts get wrong most often uh, when trying to forecast and, and look, you know, at the landscape and, and these competitive, um, the competitive intelligence and the disruptions that are yeah. occurring or going to occur? Well, I tell you a really simple one that sounds very straightforward and is kind of a, a building block of any kind of uh, market analysis that anybody's doing, whether they're you know doing corporate strategy or, or otherwise, is just trying to figure out the size of the market and, and the relative player's market share. Um, you know, the, the the classic approach to that would be to go buy some report that somebody's written that says you know here are the top five and and here's their relative market share. A huge mistake is to then take that as gospel, right? Um, because it, I've been around long enough to see how those reports are typically put together and they are not gospel. I can, I can tell you with 100% certitude. So, so that's a fundamental uh, mistake, I think, relying on uh, sort of syndicated research. Now, that's not to say that all syndicated research is bad. There are some, there are some uh, research organizations, particularly trade associations, where the members are self-reporting their own activity, that can be a little bit more reliable. Uh, but when you're buying a third party uh, report who's, who's taken a look at a market and said, well, here's what we think the market share is, um, I, I would take that with a grain of salt. Um, there are easier ways to collect, to collect that data on, on our own and actually have some more confidence on it. And it sounds trivial, but it's, it's actually really important when you think about some of the strategic decisions that are made Things like what we think our relative market share is in a particular segment can drive very different decisions, right? And so it's important that we're, we have decent data to, to rely on. So that would be a, a huge one right off the bat. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really important point. 
regardless of whether we're talking specifically in relation to this conversation today or just zooming out a little bit more generally, people, I don't know, it's a human tendency that we like certainty and we tend to be attracted to various dogmas. So whether whether it's an economic um, or social dogma, religious, political dogma, whatever, like we, we tend to oversimplify and then get a little bit too comfortable in the common explanation that that fits with our yeah. worldview, right? And, and that that's in part what I think happens with these types of reports is they come out and there's there's good insights. It, it, it does paint a picture and it does help us understand things, but it's, it, you know, we, we can't just get sucked into it as the authoritative answer to the problems that we're facing. Uh, and if we get dogmatic about it, uh, then, then we're going to miss stuff. So, and, and there's a lot of things that we can do to collect more targeted, relevant data specifically to our organization and our context that isn't happening in those big reports. Uh, so that may, may seem like it's a really tempting kind of easy thing. You just shell out a little bit of money and now you get this report and it gives you all your answers. Eh, I mean, that's just not the way the world works. And, and if, if, uh, if that's what we're relying on, I think we're going to be perpetually behind as we're trying to navigate. Agreed. Yeah. So th that's a huge pitfall that I that I always point out to folks. Um, and and I, I couldn't agree more, you know, with the 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 notion of people, you know, liking certainty, feeling comfortable with certainty. Um, that's a tricky thing in the intelligence business, regardless of whether or not you're talking about, you know, counterterrorism in my old world or uh, or, or you know corporate strategy. Decision maker wants you to tell them as the intelligence person, you know, is this going to happen or is it not going to happen? Okay, well, I can't tell you that. Well, is it 80%? Is it 75%? You know, give me a number. And lots of times it's, you just can't. You have to, you know, basically as an intelligence professional, the onus is to say, Here, here's what we know to be fact. Here, here's what we think is true. And here's what we don't know. Um, and, and there's always going to be some of those unknowns. So it's, it's, it's a question of, you know, managing risk around that and, and comfort uh, and comfort with a little bit of unknown and uncertainty in the decision-making process. Yeah. And, and I, I say it over and over again, but, you know, our tendency to, uh, to get comfortable and to, to lean on certainty, it's all a facade anyways, because, you know, we, we think that we have stability and certainty and things are constantly shifting around us. So, it, you know, whether, whether we acknowledge it or not, you know, that certainty just doesn't really exist. Yeah, um, yeah. And we, we just have to be more adaptive than that. I think very good. Uh, other types of mistakes or issues that you see as common with researchers and, and analysts that they often get wrong. Well, we talked about sort of the, the, the overspending on information. We, we see a lot of redundant spend on data, especially in those big organizations too, where you, you'll have you know, uh, the right hand spending money to answer a question that the left hand's also spending money to answer and they, they're not even really aware of it. So centralizing that function and really creating a, a function within the business around intelligence can be, uh, can be really important uh, in terms of being efficient about how you're doing it. Um, now there's a balance there, right? We, particularly in a big organization, there's a, there's a downside to centralizing things. You, you can create silos 
you know, uh, accidentally and or unintentionally. Um, but but it's important, I think, in this case, right, to be able to to have a function of folks who are trained, who have the proper tools to be able to make do sense making work, which is fundamentally what intelligence work is about, uh, and do that in a, in a rational way across across an enterprise. Um, now, the other part of that, I would say, is you know, there's a cultural aspect of this too. Uh, so the more you can sensitize everybody in the organization that that they are part of the intelligence program, they're they're responsible for informing those strategic decisions, the better off you're going to be, um, because you you don't want you know the sales team out there. There's there's a, it's very common for um, for salespeople to sort of have their their little rice bowl of these are my my clients my customers I know everything about them and I don't want to share this with everybody because it's my livelihood this is how I pay my bills um, that's that can be that can be tough to overcome um, I think the implementation of CRM systems over the past few years particularly now is all of our clients are either on or going to Salesforce it seems like um, so that that's good. Uh, you can harvest a lot of information from it, but putting a CRM system in will not in and of itself solve that problem. Uh, it, it just won't. You have to have somebody that's going <laughs> to take the information out of there and make sense of it in a, in a strategic concept. Absolutely. I mean, this comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, th those platforms are awesome. They're, they're very powerful and you can leverage them in a lot of really um, great ways. But you got to have skilled people who can you know, extract useful information that can be used in strategic ways. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they're, they're just another way to store information, right? right. Um, and, and I see that happen in organizations all the time. Uh, so we definitely can do better with that. And ultimately, you know, one of the takeaways that I get from this conversation is that you know, we really do have to lean on our people. Uh, technology can help. And there are tools and there are, are platforms and software out there that can help us in this, in the process of gathering relevant information uh, and in processing that information. But ultimately, we need creative, strategic thinkers, and we need to to develop our people into with those skill sets so that they can actually make sense of the type of information that comes out of these systems and then do something meaningful with it. So yes. we need to leverage the capacity of our people. We need to. Uh, reskill and upskill them if necessary to help them develop those capabilities. And then ultimately that in conjunction with the technologies, the disruption, the disruptive technologies, that's going to help us to be competitive in the marketplace moving into the future. Uh, and we can't, you know, it's not just the technology. It's not just the people. We got to wed the two together uh, and maximize that potential uh, in order to give us the best fighting chance, right? To, to be able to to address those upcoming unforeseen changes. Yeah, for sure. And, and it really is, uh, you know, it starts with people, like you said. Um, like, you know, the first comment I made was uh, a lot of the information you need to do this effectively, you already have. It's in people's yeah. heads, it's on their desktop, it's in their email strings, uh, you know, it's on a shared drive somewhere. So just harvesting that, centralizing it, can get you, you know, 80% of the way there in a lot of cases. So that's the first place to start. And that requires that requires a culture shift in a lot of cases. Well, Peter, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. This has been a fascinating conversation. Um, as we finish up, I did want to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your business, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. 
Yeah, Jonathan, thanks again for having me. It's been a, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, you know, folks who would like to learn more about, um, you know, how we think about approaching uh, uh, anticipating disruption, preparing for disruption, buying time to plan, those types of questions, uh, they can, we'd love to hear from them. Our website is cipher. Dot, uh, I beg your pardon, cipher hyphen sys, so it's C-I-P-H-E-R hyphen S-Y-S dot com. Uh, reach out to us there. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Peter Grimm at Cypher. You should be able to find me. Love to hear from you. Um, and, and again, you know, as I said, just, just one final time, and, and thanks again for having me, Jonathan. Um, don't wait till you've been surprised to start doing this, uh, because I, I, I just can't tell you how many times I've seen this. Uh, companies get surprised, and they wind up kind of knee-jerk reacting and spending a lot of money that's not going to buy them a lot of insight. So there is a proven way to do this. There are people out there that have been doing this for a long time that can help with it. We're among them. Uh, there's lots of others out there too. So if, if, you know, if you're thinking about disruption in your marketplace um, and, and want to put some structure about how, uh, behind how you're thinking about it, how you approach that, we'd, we'd love to chat with you. So thanks again, Jonathan. Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Pete and his organization can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.